Hello and welcome to DMs of Vancouver, the show where we talk to our awesome friends and amazing guests about how to help you become a better GM for your tabletop games or review games that we've played recently from a GM and player perspective. I'm Jesse Boros and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sean Hagen and my pronouns are also he, him. We're your co-hosts for this show and we've got another great episode for you. This episode is recorded and produced on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. Today, we're going to be talking about building a homebrew setting for a West Marches drop-in, drop-out game for gaming stores, specifically aimed at brand new D&D players. Today, we're talking to Adam Ma about his Taldromir setting. Uh, you might know Adam from the webcomic Folklore, or from being a contributor on Rolled and Told. Adam's pronouns are he, him. We hope you enjoy the show. Roll for initiative. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you, you didn't respond right away, so I'm like, oh my god, did I not turn my microphone volume back up? <laughs> no, I I wasn't sure how to introduce myself. I had to learn that in real time. So, <laughs> yeah, I I'm glad we finally got you on the show. It has been uh, a thing that was delayed a couple of times by uh, me forgetting, and then COVID, <laughs> uh, and us not doing the show for a while. <laughs> Um, so thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited to finally get to talk to you about D and D. Yeah, it's, uh, we've known each other for a while. Like we got introduced with the idea of talking and then like years later now we, we now finally get a chance to. Yeah. And it, it's funny cause since that time, uh, cause I met you through Milo Applejohn, uh, and since that time you've written a, like an introductory story to their comic that is an adaptation of the campaign that they run for me and Haley and some of our friends. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, oh my god, I, f- I completely forgot. Um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, it's it's weird because I probably knew more about your adventure group through Milo's story world than I did about like you before I met you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things that's interesting because when I like was handed the book, I think Milo had mentioned it in passing, but it hadn't fully gone into my brain. And then I opened it up. I'm like, oh, there's a novella here. Oh, it's not written by Milo. <laughs> and it was really good. Thank you. I, it's it's so uh, nerve wracking to always like write for someone else's, especially someone else's like D&D world uh, where like I wasn't. I was afraid of like adding too much or adding too little, but they, I, it's just, that was fun. That's, that's all I have to say is that was a lot of fun and I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, also thank you for writing it and I did like it a lot. So, but, uh, we're not here to talk about that though. Also, uh, listeners, if you haven't checked out Milo Appledon's princess and the plague queen, uh, take a look at that. Adam has a story in the front. There's a character based on my character in it. Um, uh, we're here to talk about, 
your setting, uh, which I foolishly didn't have <laughs> right in front of me, Taldromir. Or Teldromir. Teldromir. Uh, yeah, and uh, so this is a homebrew setting you're running, and you're kind of doing, it sounds like you're doing some interesting things with it. So where do you want to start off talking about it? Oh, man. Um, well, Teldromir was, before it got a crazy name, uh, an idea that came up between myself and uh, Tim, uh, who owns the the Game Chamber. He's a local, uh, local game store in London, Ontario, which, if you're listening to this and you live near London, Ontario, go visit it. It's... I mean, Tim's obviously uh, a friend of mine, but the store is fantastic. It's run by an amazing group of people. It's it's so much fun to be there and go there and play games, and everyone's really knowledgeable and nice. And that's the main reason why I wanted to work with him on a, a campaign uh, setting of some kind. Uh, I, th- I think, uh, I don't know if either of you two are big into tabletop wargaming at all, but uh, I think... Anyone that has played a tabletop war game after about a month, there's always one person in the group who's just like, "When can we do a narrative campaign?" When and, <laughs> and, and, and the idea of taking your little army and building it up over time and having like a story attached to it is very, very tabletop D and D Pathfinder esque, right? Like the that's that's basically what you know pen and paper role playing is. And I I wanted to take some of those elements of having this open sprawling world where people could not really fight over resources but do something with resources and do something with places and sectors and and discoveries and most importantly <clears throat> interact with each other and be able to share that information and be able to make an impact on the world um, and it sounded really complicated and difficult to do with multiple people so naturally i've spent the last couple of years trying to, to figure out how to do it in a way that would be fun but also like good for local game stores or good for schools or good for like one person who has a lot of people that want to play D and don't want to write you know four different campaigns they can instead have one campaign world with maybe four different subplots and a way to tie it all together okay um it, it's interesting that you mentioned tabletop wargaming because just a, an episode or two ago, I was telling Jesse that I I miss playing Warhammer 40k because those those big battles where you you take over your parents' kitchen table for an afternoon with some friends and play these big battles uh, is something that I miss. I'm just I'm not sure how I can get back into that world because from what I remember, tabletop wargaming is expensive. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is. And I mean, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. It's like anything else. Like when I look at D&D, which is the primary role playing system that I use, right, is Fifth Ed. Um, it's both not expensive and also extremely expensive, right? <laughs> uh, as I point to a wall of miniatures and books behind me. Yeah. Uh, uh, so so it, it really the the value is is as much as you want to put into it and and i think there's different ideas like again tabletop people that play this you know like there's there's slow grow campaigns where you can just buy like a box of units and then over a year you know maybe you add another box so that it's designed to not destroy your wallet um that's not what we wanted to do necessarily but we still wanted the theme of that which is you know if if you want to join for a session 
in this world, you can join for a session in this world and you can still have an impact and a contribution. If you wanted to join for three sessions, if you wanted to have a long form story, if you wanted to meet strangers, you know, we, we wanted it to be as inclusive as possible in, in the same sense that with, with a tabletop, you know, you can just plan a match or something like along, along those lines. Um, so Teldramir is, it is a world setting, and there's no shortage of amazing world settings that people can already use, whether it's third party or you know something from uh, Wizards. Uh, there's 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 absolutely no shortage of really cool world settings. But I wanted to make something that was a cool world setting with the focus of being able to easily have multiple playgroups involved in this growing world experience. So. Something that I'm I'm curious about is that you're th this is a Teldramere is a setting that you've built as a homebrew setting so that you can run. Um, would you say that this is like you're running kind of a West Marches thing because people come in and they have a session and then it's kind of like a, a single experience and then they can come back and have more sessions if they want, but it's not necessarily like an interconnected campaign. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty spot on. Um, I I want it to make something that. Um, if if you just wanted to do one shots forever and constantly use new characters, you absolutely could. But in doing so, you would also be contributing to the world at large still. So you could look back and have a chart that says, okay, you know, it, if Group A, Group B, and Group C all did different quests, all three of those groups might have different resources that they bring back to Valorfall, which is the main city in Teldramir that a lot of this starting narrative is based around. Um, alternatively, let's say Group C wanted to just keep going, then they could just keep growing. And they can choose to share the things they find with the rest of the gaming community, or they could choose not to and, and keep it secret. And maybe someone else would stumble over their aftermath along the way if they decided to explore the world as well. So something that I'm curious about is how, like, do the parties ever interact? Like, is there ever any crossover between what happens in one session and what happens in another session with a completely different group of players? The world is large enough that at first the answer is probably no. But over time, if people want to collaborate, then absolutely. Um, I think one of the major hurdles to learning a tabletop rpg world is uh the the history of the world can often be really daunting when, when you get into something like forgotten realms um you know it feels it feels like you're being gatekept right at the start so with teldramir we set out to create a world where its history was essentially buried and ruined and all you have to do is learn a little bit about the main city and a little bit about the core themes of Teldramir's wilderness, which which right now is focused around this region called the Still Wilds. And the Still Wilds are exactly that. They're uncharted, they're unexplored, and everyone is on the same exact page with each other. There's there's no there's no maps in terms of saying, you know, we know that we can get from point A to point B clearly. Um, you might know that there's woods somewhere or hills or a mountain in the distance, but everything is really, really open. And the the general reason behind it is not because there's nothing there it's that we want the players to discover it and name it and decide what they want to do with that information and if they discover something that turns out it's going to be a threat to the overall community um then they can work together to stop it or help it i guess if they, because you always have those D, &D groups right 
So, because something that I'm curious about is, so you said that this is a, a region of the, like, is it the whole world or is it just this region that has basically no history? You said like, it's, it's uh, like, was it abandoned or like, because we had an episode recently where we talked about the world that I'm, the world building that I've done in the past. And uh, I can't remember if we talked about the world building I'm doing for the Numenera campaign that I'm prepping for Jesse and some of our other friends. But for me, when it comes to world building, I just find that I get drawn into like the history. That's where my joy comes from. I guess when I'm building a uh, doing any world building is figuring out like, okay, this city, you know, it has this, um, you know, a feast day or a tradition. Where did that come from? Why is that in place? And I just, I keep going back and back and back and, you know, I'll find something else and figure out like, well, why is that the way it is? Why is this the way it is? Why is, why is this country operate the way it does? And it sounds like you've built the kind of setting that I should probably try to build, which is one that doesn't have very much history. So I don't want to say Teljamere has no history because it has a monumental amount of history. And that's been one of the difficult parts in designing it is that we want a place so that if you take a dart at our map, and you throw it, we can tell you what's there or what's underneath the surface. Um, the thing about Teldramir is that it's it's unexplored and most of the world is kind of left in this... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The nature has kind of overgrown that past, that, that survivors from this cataclysmic event uh, called the Divine Betrayal had to group together for hundreds of years, and they were able to cut themselves a little corner of the world that was safe. And they've built upon it, and they've grown it, and they've developed a city, and they've stabilized some level of civilization. And only now are they saying, maybe we should see what else is out there. I just wanted to say really quickly that the the name of the cataclysm, the divine betrayal, is just it's chef's kiss. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great name. I, I really like the idea that you have of... Um, you know, not necessarily a world without history, but a world where the history is largely unknown to the players. Like, I think that's a really smart way of making it an easier point of entry for them. And it is kind of what I've done with my new game is I was like, we're going to build the settle the kind of settlement and direct area together. The only thing you need to know about the history of the world as players is that there was magic and it disappeared for a long time and it came back relatively recently and it's kind of post-apocalyptic. And that's all that you need to know other than what we're building together. And then we go from there and work forward. Yeah, that's and, uh, that's exactly it. Is a, a we, um, in, in designing this world, uh, I, I didn't want anyone to feel like they had to know an entire fantasy world in order to get into it. But instead, I just want them to feel comfortable asking questions because once they start asking questions about the world around them, I can start revealing you know, oh, you're learning this. You're the first people to discover this. You're the first person to see this type of tablet or armor or artifact or item. Do you do you want to know more? Do you want to bring it back to the city and have it investigated? Do you want to keep it to yourself because it's strong and powerful and it'll make you super cool? Um, there's there's a, a really big uh, layered history around Valorfall because that's that's civilization. That's the thing that players should be able to ask at any point in time and say, what do I know about the city? What do I know about its leadership? What do I know about the, the shops that are there? And, and those questions everyone will have access to in terms of answers. But in terms of the wilderness and the past and what's out there, 
Um, the the really big uh, thing that I've wanted to do is keep a new player who might feel a little overwhelmed by the general idea of a fantasy world, and I wanted to cut that down to the most distillable experience possible, like the the least overwhelming thing that could possibly happen. So Teldrimir is way more than just one city and the still wilds, but I've intentionally cut it down so that when you start playing in this experience, you start there, and then at the point where you become comfortable enough to say like, hey, I'm level four now, you know, can I go to the mountains and survive as a group? You can try. And there's there's stuff there. There's, there's a lot to the world. Uh, it, we just want to start players in one space where they're going to feel safe with the idea of exploration and learning. So something that I'm curious about is, well, first, how many groups are you, or are you, or have you run through the Northern Still Wilds? Right now, uh, I have one playtest group that I've been going through the Northern Still Wilds with, and a lot of it has been, uh, it's, they're, some of them are familiar with D&D, um, some of them are brand new, and a lot of my experience with them has been, from a new player's perspective, uh, what can I get away with throwing at them in terms of a one-shot is concerned, right? How high can I make the stakes before someone in the group very clearly feels discomfort? Um, how weird can I make a puzzle? How uh, abstract can I make, um, you know, like a dungeon? Uh some spoilers to follow, but for example, uh, there is a uh, one particular adventure one shot. Well, I guess let me back it up. All of the adventures to make it easy for players to understand why they're going out into the wilderness. Um, all of the adventures are handled through this organization called the Trailblazers Coalition. And the general idea is, is when you start a one shot, you're given a quest from the Trailblazers Coalition that is contracted from someone. So it could be a farm that needs help, it could be a settlement that needs medical supplies, and the quest will be based around that. So maybe your quest is deliver supplies, or kill a monster, or investigate a tomb. Um, you know that you're being hired by someone to do a job in a very mercenary-like fashion. Um, and there's this one adventure where you have to clear out ruins to make it safe for an explorer team to go in and, and do their archaeology. Um, and the very first trap is a room that will uh, very Indiana Jones style. There's a, a pillar that has to have weight on it. You you put the thing on it that equals the weight, and the room doesn't explode. If you screw it up, the room explodes, and everyone in the room dies. But there's a clock in the room, and instead of measuring time, it measures the number of lives that you have. So every time you die, you are reset back to your previous position. Um, and I, I wanted to see, like, the, dying sucks in, in an RPG, but could I make it fun? Could I could I have people, you know, still have the risk of death, but not feel penalized by dying? Um, so it's it's interesting to take people who have never played Dungeons and Dragons before, who have like RPG experience, and they kind of know, you know, what the deal is in a fantasy setting, um, but maybe they aren't sure, you know, is my character capable of being killed it, you know is is this something i should fear or is this something i need to not care about at all um and and throwing these different scenarios at them to see like how they react or what's too much or what's too little so something that i'm i guess i'm curious because it sounds like you're still early stages with this with this project is um 
like let's just assume that everything goes awesomely. You know, you get a bunch of groups who are trapezing through this this world and learning stuff and uncovering ancient secrets and all of that. What happens in a year or five or ten when enough history has been uncovered that you know there is now a lot more information for players to uncover when they first enter the game? Have you? given any thought to how you'll handle that or do you think you'll just stick with the here's the city there's some wilds when players feel comfortable and want to know more than they'll ask or have you given any thought to um like fiction or like a primer or some kind of guide for the world or have you just not thought about it yet yes to a little bit of everything that i think you just said um so i, I think the the real goal is to have as many sections of the world as possible uh, uh, fleshed out so that stores or schools or, what again, places that really operate with a lot of different people can take these adventures, run them, and then wherever their groups go, they go. Um, some, some D&D groups, I imagine, are never going to communicate, and they're just going to go off and do their own little adventures. And But part of the fun of that is a very you know, bragging rights, like, this is what we accomplished. What did you guys do? Um, and I imagine some groups are really going to coordinate in terms of let's explore each corner of the world and find every single secret. Uh, I don't think I can govern that kind of uh, nuance. I, I think th the goal is just to provide as many resources as humanly possible to make this world feel real. And as long as it feels real, uh, my hope is that every place that we are able to offer Teljamir to has a unique experience with it that feels special to them. Okay. So I'm curious because Teldramir is a it's obviously a fantasy setting. Is it, uh, is there a specific kind of fantasy theme or sub-theme to it? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I would say it's pretty high fantasy um, with a very heavy focus on uh, exploration and, and I don't want to say dungeon diving or dungeon exploring but just uh the the idea of discovery like we we i say we because uh, i'm working closely with tim to make sure that um this is something that from a storefront perspective players would want to come in and do um but as the the primary writer and designer of everything um i, I want to make sure that people who don't like combat can still have fun in teldramir that when when you tell people it's an exploration setting there's a really big uh, you know, the, the first thing you think of is going literally Dungeons and Dragons, going into a dungeon, killing skeletons, getting some gold coins, calling it a day. Maybe the rogue sets off a trap with their face, right? Um, but I also want mechanics and rewards for people who say, you know, screw it, we don't we don't want to adventure for the Trailblazers Coalition. We want to set up a farm in a really dangerous part of whatever because there's a rare flower there, and we want to capitalize on it because we've decided to be capitalists in D&D. &D. <laughs> um, I, I want to let players do that, encourage them to do that, put them through the trials and tribulations of starting up a small wilderness business weeks away from civilization, right? Like, I, I think that's a really cool thing to explore as well. So um, however you want to approach playing D&D, &D, some people want a political game, which they could possibly do within the city. Um, I want to have all of that structure available. And I, I don't think that that is... Um, it, I think it's very easy in D&D &D to 
have so much that never gets used. Um, I don't think that's really a threat here because I, I think everything's w w with a game like this where so many parties can potentially get involved in doing so many different activities. Um, the more hooks you have, the better, and the more the more open you are to different types of gameplay, the better. So something that I'm curious about then is that, like, I understand that you're using D and D in Fifth Edition because it is the biggest role-playing game in the world. And, you know, if people come into a gaming store, that's probably what they're going to be familiar with. So it's a good starting point. But you've talked about how you want the Northern Stillwilds and, and Valorfall and the games that are run in this area to be more about exploration than just straight up dun like delving through dungeons and, like you said, fighting skeletons and whatnot. Um, how do you handle or deal with the fact that D&D, &D, for some of these things... The rules are, if there are rules for, you know, exploring the wilderness and for travel and for all of these kind of things that are not combat related, that the rules, if they are there, tend to be kind of light um, compared with other games that do have more, more rules for, you know, dealing with political intrigue or managing an army or whatever it is that that game is trying to uh, accomplish as its core mechanic. D&D's um, core mechanic is combat. That's what all, pretty much all the skills are for, well, not all the skills, but most of the player abilities and the stuff in the books is about combat. So when you have this setting built around exploration, um, how do you how do you handle that dichotomy? How do you handle XP, for example? Uh, well, I will say experience is thrown right out the window. Um, <laughs> there's there is a level leveling system that is based on uh, accomplishment in the world. So depending on what contracts you fulfill, how many contracts you fulfilled, uh, if you didn't fulfill a contract, what was the session goal? Uh, I think that's way more rewarding, and I think it already pulls off the table one of my problems with D and D and most RPG systems, uh, and that's treating experience like a currency. It's not. It's not a currency, it's not a reward, and I think when players start looking at enemies as things to kill to get uh, a direct level boost, it kind of harms your perspective of looking at uh, you know, non-combat solutions or out-of-the-box solutions. Uh, so we, we do away with that right out the gate. D&D um, &D is... Uh, it's a great foundation because it's very simple. And you're right, combat is the main focus of most D, D books right you know monsters that you're going to fight and and character abilities and class abilities are largely based around how much you can hurt or heal each other um but i think that one thing that's kind of passed over or slept on when it comes to D, &D is that it it is a very simple foundation so it's very easy for people to understand and use and you can take you know skill proficiencies for example and apply them to a pretty wide range of of things uh without having someone be confused about it like uh, i think other systems while while they might have more robust uh skills in terms of how pass and fail interacts with um uh certain types of skills like if you're if you're trying to like repair a wagon wheel you know uh D20 is pretty much just you do it or you don't, uh, whereas other systems might have, you know, you do it, but it's not that great, or you do it, but it's, you know, you do a super good job and you repair more than one wheel or you make a new wheel, right? Um, 
all D&D needs is a little bit of extra notation to be able to have that flourish, to, to be able to say, okay, there's there's pass and there's fail, but there's also granularity if you do uh, you know, two above or two below. Um, it's not explicitly stated in the main rules, but it's not that hard to introduce into your campaign. Uh, and one part of Teldramere, uh, all of the adventures, all of the one-shots, which I'm making, are, are designed to uh, play on that. They, they have suggestions in terms of, you know, if your party does this, or if, if the party does this, then they might pass. If the party does this, they might, uh, you know, miss out on this opportunity, or this NPC might not talk to them. Um, it, I, I try as hard as I can to uh, put all of the different details and consequences uh, for, for player actions um, on, on a case-by-case basis, because I think you don't want every session to also be a, a big conversation about skills the same way that you don't want every session to be a big combat encounter. Or if you do, then that's up to you and your group. So you've mentioned a couple times now, um, potentially schools playing it or other game shops. Is the, is the attention uh, eventually to like start kind of like selling or having online resources for like the one shots you mentioned and the setting just like a guide that people can either purchase or access that's the idea yeah we we want to start offering it um at the game chamber first and foremost because that's where i'm (laughs) collaborating to get it done uh but right out the gate uh one of the first things we talked about was being able to make this accessible to to other retailers as well because it would just be really cool to to have out there like there there's there's a lot of times where I have only ever met cool tabletop people just by going out and trying out tabletop gaming nights. And that exists for wargaming. That's very easy to be like, I want to play X-Wing or, or Armada or you know Warhammer or something. You know, Who else out there wants to play with me? It's a little tougher to do with D&D. And by creating this world setting where it kind of encourages drop in, drop out, and it encourages random groups to just take on something... I think we minimize the risk of having like a bad experience with someone who's going to cause trouble in a community long term. I think it, it kind of minimizes people being afraid of commitments and saying to themselves, well, if I do this one night, do I have to do this every night? Uh, I think every store needs to work really hard to look out for those tabletop bad apples because they, they definitely exist. But at least this gives people an option to be able to say like, hey, do you want to do you want to try this open session thing that isn't tied into an existing world lore that is that is very watered down on the surface and very simple, but will also, you know, you'll you'll leave the session at the end of the evening literally having contributed to the actual gaming community that you're in in some respect. Yeah, because I, I was I was thinking about how because I, I played Warhammer 40k when I was a teenager and like I, I think I mentioned earlier, like sometimes, you know, you play on your parents' kitchen table, but most of the time, I would say like a good 90% of the time that I played 40K, most of the time it was at a uh, a hobby store that actually mostly sold like sports memorabilia. <laughs> but, um, you know, every Friday, me and my best friend and a couple of our other friends would go to this store and there'd be like 15, 20 people, you know, and five tables and you'd you know, meet, you chat, you ask somebody if they want to play a game, you wait till the table opens up, and then you just start playing. And it's one of the areas that tabletop wargaming, from my experience, it does have a leg up for that kind of um, laid back, you know, 
drop in, drop out kind of play because for a war game, it's like it might take you an hour or two or three if you're playing a particularly large game, but you don't need to know very much to drop in. You need to know the basic rules. You need to know like, okay, what kind of scenario are we playing? So how many points, what kind of units can I bring? All that, all that stuff. And then you play. And then when you're done, you shake hands, you say good game, and then you play with somebody else. Whereas with D and D or any role-playing game, like there's character creation, there's what's this world that we're in. We have to sort out a party. And so Figuring out a way for game stores to create that kind of wargaming experience is something that I I find very interesting, and I think it could be incredibly valuable for the tabletop community. Yeah, i I don't want to I don't want to say like this is the this is the problem that I have found, and now I will solve it because I know I know the Adventurers League exists, right? Like that's that's D and D's version of Friday Night Magic or or anything else, but. It's still, because it's tied so closely to everything else Wizards of the Coast does, you're always going to be in Neverwinter or Theros or some some property that you need to know history and lore about. Like, you're, you're always going to have, you know, in, in those types of leagues, they, they want you to have um, the ability to progress, but they need to tie that in a way that is fair to their community no matter where you play so you can only have x type of items or you can only carry over y type of information and those those are just more barriers right the the more that you you have to balance things in a in a setting like that it's just more and more barriers to prevent people from easily being able to jump in and i i want to create a setting where if you don't know the world setting that's fine. The story tonight is you need to save a farmland from a bunch of oversized giant bugs that are going to kill them in 24 hours if you don't stop it. You don't have a character? This is a level 3 adventure. Here's a level 3 character for you to choose from. Hop in. You don't have a magic item? Maybe you'll find one during the adventure. You can keep it at the end or you can give it to someone else if you don't want to. At the end of the day, if the farm survives, we'll put it on the map. If it doesn't, well, maybe we'll, we'll mark it off the map. <laughs> I, I like this idea a lot because I've played the odd adventure league game at conventions and stuff, and they were always fun, but they were kind of a, a bit of a turnoff for me because they have very specific rules around character creation and all that stuff. And if you don't know that going in, you can show up with a character that you can't use. Um, and like, I, I do like the idea of, uh, you know, I don't need to know much about the world going in. You know, it's you can explain it to me in five minutes, it sounds like, you know. Um, and then I just be like, yeah, this is my character. You know, it's a reasonable character. Let's go and play. But like, because I, I know Adventure League, I think the rule is core book plus one, as that's all you can use for a character. I don't. They might have changed that in the recent years, but like, depends on the season that you're playing in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like for example, if if it's a specialty setting from like a, a Magic World or something like that, you might specifically have to choose certain options, I suppose. But yeah, it's uh, I like this idea a lot. Actually, it's like because you know I would like to sometimes go to drop in games, but like I'm just not interested in Adventures League. Something that I'm curious, uh, I keep I need to find a different way to phrase. I have a question, but uh, <laughs> something that uh, Games Workshop does is they at least what I was playing, and I don't know how often they still do this, but they would have. I don't think it was every year, but every couple of years they'd have some kind of event 
and gaming stores could choose to um, run like a special promotion as part of the event. And the idea was that like people would fight and uh, based on where your game store was would determine like where in the galaxy you are. And then your fight, like you would just record like I played Ultramarines, my opponent played Dark Eldar and they won and like that that's all you do and then the game store takes all of that and sends it back to games workshop and they use that to determine how the narrative of the event goes because like oh okay in ontario the dark eldar are doing a lot better better than the space marines so they're gonna win in this section of the galaxy have you given any thought to like maybe once you've got more than a single game store taking part in this a way to have some kind of Hey, your game store can influence the you know how this world unfolds and how the you know what discoveries are made. Um, any kind of system like that that you thought of? I think uh, from a from a licensing standpoint, that makes sense. That's that's the way to do it because then I can theoretically control what part of the world everyone is in and and how the world is shaped on a region by region basis. The the gamer in me that says everyone should have everything for free and just <laughs> and just have fun with it, uh, I think I much more prefer to just make an entire world. Say you you want to buy it, and then see see what each individual store does. Um, I think the the hardest part of being a DM is predicting what the hell anyone is ever gonna do, <laughs> and I never. <laughs> It's hard enough to figure out what one group is going to do. It's going to be very, very difficult to figure out what two groups or three groups are going to do or four. I mean, it, the amount of people, like if you're if your average playgroup, right? I, I'm running two groups right now. One is for Teljamir and one is for just a local friend thing. One of those groups is six to eight people. One of those groups is five people. So just by having two groups, I'm I'm already getting close to right like 15 individuals involved in quote unquote D and D in my in my life right now. If you add four groups to that equation, right, you're going to be looking at like 20 something, 30 something, depending on the play size of of different groups and how big some of them can get. Um, I I don't want there to ever be a time where uh, someone running this world setting feels like there's too much to keep track of or too much to try to predict. I would rather just say, here's the groundwork and here are several adventure hooks. You can see some of these hooks to the end and whatever that end is is whatever it's going to impact on the world. Part of part of Teldramir's future is unwritten for that for that express reason. You're, you're given the past and you're given the present and you're given artifacts and uh, story hooks that can potentially progress the world in different directions. But what happens i think really needs to stay with just the players and what the players decide to do and that's that's part of the fun is i i will it, a nice dream would be that two stores will pick this up and both stores will have such wildly varying outcomes to how players have chosen to explore or chosen to help the city or rob the city i don't know uh i, I think that's that's much better for uh the storytelling community as a whole and that that does make more sense now that you've talked it through because in a in a war game like the there's only one outcome you won or you lost and you know that's a lot easier for a company like Games Workshop to keep track of you know they just have to have 
you know, a spreadsheet with a bunch of numbers in it that like, oh, Dark Eldar won a couple more, Tyranids won a couple more, Space Marines won some, and then they can make decisions based on that. Whereas in a role-playing game, yeah, like the characters, the the players who are, you know, in a game can decide like, actually, no, we're going to go rob the bank or we're going to go and do something that's not helpful. And there's so many different things. Because yeah, like even just, you know, any DM or GM will tell you that like the one of the hardest things is trying to figure out what the players are going to try and do next so that you can do at least some prep for it. But yeah, trying to manage that across not just multiple groups, but multiple locations sounds like it would be a logistical nightmare. And uh, like back to what you said about each party is not even going to play the game the same, right? Like, so uh, I have a friend who likes to run kind of the same one page adventure for multiple people because it's easy to pick up and play every time the players play differently. But also, um, she doesn't run it the way that it was written exactly. And I would presume that any DM is going to make variances on an adventure they run because, you know, it's just like, oh, uh, we probably won't have time for this middle fight. I'll just write it out. Uh, I don't like this puzzle. I don't like running puzzles. I'm just going to get rid of it. Like, that's, that's the other thing is, like, if you have certain adventures that are set... It's not even just the players, it's the runners, whoever's running the game. And it could even be whoever's running the game on different days of the week, depending on, you know, what kind of stuff they have to do or what they've got going on. Uh, So it makes sense not to, uh, especially without like a huge network of people who work for you or something like that, to kind of have to keep track of that. Other than for just the coolness of hearing the story of how this other party did or how this other GM ran it. And getting to go like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that, or oh, that's so funny, or so it's so strange that your players did that. I I think a big part of um, the difference between a Teldrimir story and any other supplement story is that I'm I'm purely focused on designing a narrative that is driven by one shots because one shots the goal is very simple. The players may complicate it, and maybe the players will take on several one-shot stories at a time maybe they will first save a community then look for riches in a tomb then decide to kill a worm uh, that's a giant and out on the ocean right so that's three very different things but then for number four they say i wonder what that community is doing right let me let's go check back over there they said they had something else for us to do right so they go back to the community i i don't ever want them to have a not clear goal when they go back to the community. I want each one-shot adventure to end very clearly and to end with a very clear hook should they decide to help them further or should they decide to continue. And I think uh, that's maybe once this gets out into the world, uh, DMs are going to need to pace themselves appropriately depending on the group. Uh, But I think by making the goal always very clear to the players. No one should ever get put into a position where they say, what do we do next week? Where do we where do we begin to start? I think you should end every session with, hey, you're currently in the middle of a lich's tomb. You can go left or right. Decide what you want to do and we'll pick it up next week. So I think the last thing that I'd like to touch on before we wrap up is, and I'm mostly curious about this because I am in the middle of doing world building myself, is do you use any uh, tools or programs or websites 
uh, or have there has there been a specific one that has been incredibly useful in building Teldromir? Uh, yes, I'm terrible at map making. I'm not. So I'm I'm a pretty artistic person, but I I don't have any like hand eye illustrative coordination. Um, so incarnate has been really useful for me to better visualize the maps and in, even get like a, a general sense of where things are and where things are located. And if you're a bad map person like I am, uh, and you want to just mess around in a map program, I've I've really enjoyed incarnate a lot. Um, outside of that. Uh, I'm I'm very like Pepe Sylvia. I've got like a million Google Docs that are just one-shot ideas and adventures that link to other things that are all tied together in one big primer. Um, I, I've I try to think of everything that I can and then organize it all at the end into a, a single concise document. Okay, cool. Uh, so I'm wondering because we're coming up to 45 minutes here, uh, so probably getting towards wrapping up but first is there um is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you would really like to talk about for teldromir oh man i'm i'm just really excited to run it i i might need more playtesters in the future as i continue to hash out how i organize multiple player groups um but uh, this is this is a thing that I've spent the last two years working on in terms of building the history and building adventures and deciding what the best way to bring this to players is. And uh, I I'm just really really excited to actually be able to run it in stores soon and to actually you know play it with with people who are new to D and D. Uh, and if you are new to D&D or if you're afraid of playing D&D for some reason or if you're intimidated by it I would love to know why because a big goal of mine is to have Teldromir be a world setting that is just it's just safe it's it's a it's fun and it's exciting and it's weird and it has all the things that a veteran player like myself is interested in but it's also accessible and it feels welcoming and it feels like something that you can make a difference in rather than you know, a 60-year-old uh, campaign setting that it hasn't changed because it's too valuable of an IP to change. Yeah, I I remember a couple of years ago, I took a look at, um, I don't know if it's the official wiki or not, but it was a wiki that had the history of the Forgotten Realms in it. And the amount of things that happen like the map and the history is just so dense. I do not understand how anybody today really gets into the forgotten realms outside of playing a video game that can probably do a better job of introducing you to the forgotten realms than a DM who's trying to get you through a story. Yeah. I, I'm, I realize I'm talking a lot of shit about forgotten realms and wizard <laughs> supplements, <laughs> Please make no mistake. I I do love those places. I I think they're fantastic and wonderful. But every time I've ever had a new player enter into D and D into one of my groups, and we played in a Forgotten Realm setting, they they felt stupid because they didn't understand like the history of all of these places that are literally rich with history. They they would feel like they were just not. Not that they weren't welcome, but it's not that they weren't welcome. It's just it, it was almost like having like a you must be this fantasy red to pass, right? And that's not what it's supposed to be. And 
if I have an opportunity to create my own D&D experience, I would like it to be the opposite of that. I'd, as, as welcoming and as fresh and as, as new for everyone, no matter when you're joining. You know, honestly, that new player experience with the Forgotten Realms is the same as my experience when I tried to DM it. Because, like, I, I what was it, Dragon Heist? I picked up Dragon Heist a while ago. I was like, oh, great, it's all set in the city. It's, like, it's an urban adventure. This is going to be great. And then I run it, and I'm like, wow, I don't know anything about this setting. Um, I don't super care uh, about it, which is, I think, another thing. Like, if it's uh, if you do not care about the setting you're running in, you can still run a, a great game and have fun, but it's a lot easier to run in a setting that is simple because it's easier to get to love it. You know, it's you can understand it quicker and easier without having to like know the list of fifty gods or whatever and who this one person is and why I should care that there's this drow pirate who changes shape and <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> and it's it's really good when you are the most knowledgeable person as the dm about the setting because when someone's just like hey what's that giant statue in Waterdeep?" and you're just like i don't know it but it's uh it comes to life now right like you can just like wing it on the spot but when a player knows more than you about the campaign setting you feel so bad because it's like i'm supposed to represent this world to you and it's supposed to be real to you but i just can't bring it to life because i didn't read the six books about elminster that make this place happen or I haven't read the fifteen novels set in the area, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, like the the idea of having a like some kind of primer is something that I think would be. I, I don't think they need to put it out as a product, but if they had something on their website that was a a general primer on the Forgotten Realms, on the Magic the Gathering setting that they put out and like just like a one page like here's everything that you actually need to know because well, yeah i think it, like it's the same thing with a lot of not just fantasy but like science fiction worlds like not just tabletop role-playing games but like star wars and star trek and all of these things they have really easy entry points which in star wars and star trek you've got some movies and for like Shira, you've got a TV show for anything that's not tabletop role playing that might have a really deep history or a lot of lore, like a lot of fluff to get into. There's usually something like a single thing that you have to read or watch or listen to to get introduced. Whereas D and D doesn't have that yet, and I I think that's why it sounds like you and myself prefer to run homebrew worlds because then we know what's going on we know what's around that corner or we can make it up and know that it'll fit yeah and like here's the thing there was a primer for dragon heist and it was like 30 pages long (laughs) (laughs) well it's maybe maybe it's an eternal tabletop problem where if if the world isn't designed to be inclusive right away it's just not going to be like if you look at critical role which is that's a that's a new supplement that's a new world right obviously critical role has been going on for years because it's been within friends before it became mainstream but compared to pathfinder right compared to dungeons and dragons or most other tabletop rpgs critical role is pretty new people still don't want to get into it because 
the barrier for knowledge is so like season one is like 300 something episodes right season two is like 200 something episodes and each episode is like four hours <laughs> yeah you just there's just a lot of background knowledge you have to learn to get into a modern jumping point if you wanted to start today you would have to get through the whole backlog of what's been before to feel like you're in on the joke it feels like it's it's a similar problem to comics with series that have been running since the 40s and you know have thousands of issues with weird details that maybe it's not a problem that anybody's ever going to figure out how to solve but the idea of designing a a world and a region of that world that you can bring brand new players into um, and try to empower that drop in drop out kind of wargaming feel i think is i think it's a really good idea and i'm really looking forward to seeing how it how it plays out now i'm just wondering if there's a forgotten realms version of jay and miles explain the x-men <laughs> there probably is there's somebody on youtube who's done it <laughs> oh yeah adam i'm i'm really looking forward to hearing more about your setting and your entire the kind of entire enterprise of making it because it's not just writing the setting it's writing adventures and getting it out there. I, I'm really excited to see what happens with all of this. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe uh, after you've launched it and had a bit more, like, you've gotten it out there again, you can come back and tell us about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, this is it, this is a learning experience, and I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot just designing this to to where it is right now and i feel like we're we're so close to just having it be out there um but no doubt like when we start running it in store we're gonna we're gonna hit problems we're gonna we're gonna have hurdles that we're gonna have to immediately clear uh as the end goal is always just going to be to make it the most accessible way to to play and and have a unique experience and and you know if if someone starts with one game of Teldramere and then says I like D&D and then they just go and buy a you know Rime of the Frost Maiden and play that with their friends that's a success that's that's all I really want is just to to have a really good experience and if you decide you want to keep playing in Teldramere because you like that wargaming type resources and discovery and contribution feel uh then yeah uh, absolutely then that's that's another success very cool uh well thank you for coming on uh, is there anything other than Teldramere that you'd like to, to plug before we get out of here. Or you could also plug where people can find you to, if they're interested in playing it once you kind of are more up and running. Yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at 34th gingerbread, the number three, number four, TH gingerbread. Pretty, pretty easy. Uh, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about D and D nonstop. I've got a, a very tiny Teldramere discord server, uh, which I'm sure if you just ask me for, I'll give you a link to, uh, to, to talk about the process there. Um, I write a superhero horror webcomic called Folklore, which has nothing to do with D&D and nothing to do with exploration and a lot to do with superheroes and people dying and monsters. So that's something that you could check out. Um, otherwise, I, I'm always going to pop up in different projects. Um, I just contributed. Oh, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to, to shout out Splinterverse. Um, we just did a Feywild companion. So if, if you're looking to see the type of adventure that I like to run, uh, go to DM's Guild, look up Splinterverse's Feywild companion, buy it, and then scroll all the way to the back of the book because my adventure's there. But I also contributed some other stuff in between. 
<laughs> uh, it's got it's got a million things in there that are amazing. There's classes. There's uh, a way to scale enemy size. Uh, there's some cool lineages. There's some amazing items, uh, stuff for DMs and players. Uh, if you're if you're into the Feywild, uh, super super good. So didn't intend this to turn into a plug for that, but I worked on it. I'm really proud. The whole team is amazing. Uh, definitely check it out. Very, Very cool. cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast getting to learn about this whole project that you've got going on. And uh, I wish you all the best with it because it sounds really cool and I really hope it takes off. Yeah. Thanks. I'm I'm excited. And I'm sure we're, I'm going to be back to talking with you all about it. Uh, at the very least, maybe running you all through a game or two because uh, what you guys do is great and I'd love to see how you play a game. <laughs> oh, I really appreciate you saying that. <laughs> And yeah, I would love to play sometime. Yeah, um, but I think that's it for now. We're going to get out of here. Um, Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thanks again for listening to our show. We are proud members of the Cave Goblin Podcast Network. Find us and other shows at cavegoblins.com. You can support us and our network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins, by joining our Discord, or by leaving us a review, which is the next line you're supposed to say. I did it again. <laughs> you can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, or at Sean P. Hagen. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. Our art is done by the fantastic Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. That is it for this episode. Hope to see you out there at the gaming table. I'm Piers Ray. Sitting with me is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Eric Ivanovich. We're the hosts of Podcast vs. Podcast right here on the Cave Goblin Network. This is the only podcast pitching show on the internet. Tune in, find out if we can ever find the perfect podcast, or, more importantly, can we agree on it? This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.